Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. Oh ho, and I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Woo-woo! Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing the plus-sized Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 67, Legacy number 868, with a story entitled The Chameleon Conspiracy, Part 1. This issue was written by Nick Spencer, with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, with Carlos Gomez, inks by Wayne Foucher, with Marcelo Ferreira and Carlos Gomez, Colors by Maury Hollowell and Andre Crossley, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. The cover is by Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Brian Reber, and this issue was first released on June 2nd, 2021. Dan, it's the first part of a new arc. Always some excitement with those. Why don't we just get right into it? Well, I mean, in terms of my overall opinion on this thing, Mark, I think a lot of it kind of comes out in what you described in it, just describing the, the tight, the, you know, people behind this book, which is, it's kind of a bunch of the, you know, side names, not any major artist. I did have, you know, right into the script. It's a plus size issue because this does have extra pages in it. And I think it benefits from having those pages. I think there's a little bit more of Peter and what's going on in his mindset, which I enjoyed. But the rest of it just feels kind of like a bunch of different people all doing their own different things. And it's not really much of one coherent story that's going on here. Even if I like some of those individual pieces. I don't disagree with any of that. I mean, I, I definitely feel the the art was... Not that it was bad, but it was less than stellar in this issue. And that kind of took me out of it for certain parts. But, you know, overall, like, you know, we've been kind of dialing things up or at least advertising that we're going to dial things up over the last few months. This 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 is a story that's kind of like resolving a plot line that I don't know anyone was necessarily looking to have resolved because I don't think anyone really cares that much about this. We're, we're t- discussing this with the hindsight of of 68 having come out too. So that kind of gives some more insights about what might be going on here in this arc and what Spencer and company might be trying to accomplish with it. But 
this this felt kind of on the level of those 2099 stories to me where I just was like, eh, you know, I don't know if these players, if the, the these characters and players that we're focusing on right now are really all that I care about. Like, I feel like this is just like, well, well now we're going to do this Chameleon and Teresa Parker story that we've been kind of teasing sort of for the last year. And, you know, it, it just isn't really scratching much of an itch for me. I think it's mo- co- more coherent than the 2099 story, which to this day, I still don't think I can really explain to you, especially as it like comes back into this story through the use of like the clairvoyant and things like that. Like I, I, I it's just so many different pieces I can't juggle. And this story introduces even more parts to that puzzle. And I don't know that I needed it to do that. We'll, we'll talk about later in, in the kind of like final page of, of this issue. Let's just get right into it because, you know, I think we need to kind of, uh, you know, talk about it in the individual plot lines, which again, I, I made my point, which is I don't think all these things are cohering and to kind of market this as like an event with a big giant sized issue at the end, which will probably be brought in to clean up this mess, just like it did the last story. I think the last story got off to a better start than this. If we're just going to dangle a bunch of little plot lines with no real movement forward for our main character and how invested he is in this and then clean it all up with a giant sized, I'm not loving this formula. Even if I think this issue has some, some extra pages that let it do a little bit more. So let, let's get to the first story, Mark. Tell us a little bit of what happens on the border of Simcaria. Anytime we're in Simcaria, I know I'm in for a good time. I mean, it's one of my favorite <laughs> locales in Spider-Man comic history. People know that for sure. But yeah, well, that I mean, wasn't like, dripping with sarcasm. No, no, not at all. I mean, like, I mean, but that's I mean, it kind of dovetails into what I'm going for here. And I mean, I, and I, I, I promise I'm going to get into specific plot points here. But, you know, kind of related to that, I mean, like, you you mentioned the the last arc with Kingpin and and the tablet and 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 all that and like you know yeah it wasn't perfect but like it I, I had more fun with it because frankly I cared about those characters and uh, it's become pretty abundantly clear that the chameleon conspiracy is going to focus on a bunch of characters that I just don't care about and I haven't been given a reason to care both by this creator and previous creators who've worked with these people and let's start with Teresa Parker who. You know, to me, it's still one of the biggest mysteries in the world why Teresa Parker is still a character in Spider-Man comics in 2021. It was like a one-off character that showed up in a graphic novel that was sort of kind of in continuity. I I feel like this was during the Superior era, right? I mean, was it like 2014? I think it was right after Superior. So it was like probably about six or seven years ago. Yeah. And yet she's like still kind of managed to like hang around under you know under the guise that she she may be peter parker's sister she may not be and you know clearly we're setting this up you know in this storyline to kind of maybe finally get an answer to that but you know in the meantime you know like she's coming after a chameleon who's being held in this this like torture prison facility and she's just you know hot for blood because he killed her partner david and you know, again, speaking of characters, we don't care about who's David. Oh, yeah, that guy, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, who cares? I don't care. Like, I, he's you've never shirt. given me a reason to care about any of this right now. You know, this is this is just like total telling, not showing about all of the emotional beats of all of these characters right now. It's like, oh, yes, these are things that happened in this comic. And, and these characters are expressing very fervent emotions. So thus you should care. But like, I just, you know, there's been no build. There's been no reason to be invested in 
the, the the tragedy for Teresa and her partner here. So this is just kind of like words on a page and, you know, with loud noises from gunfire and whatnot. We, we, we you know, the coup de grace of that is Chameleon kind of coming forward and flashing back to one of the probably more, you know, I hate to say it because I know our, our, our friend of the pod, Danny Figueroth, was heavily involved with this, but like the, the life theft storyline involving Peter Parker's parents returning from the dead and being revealed to be like androids. This was not really a high mark for Spider-Man comics. And yet we're, <laughs> we're, we're mining this, this, this storyline to, you know, we're, with the chameleon kind of playing mind games with Teresa and insinuating, oh, you might be, you, you're wondering if you're like them meaning is she an android and you know like that kind of sends off frankly the 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 bells and alarms for me that you know is this nick spencer once again trying to fix fix something that he finds is wrong which in this case might be the existence of Teresa parker so i i know i'm complaining here about why are we getting a Teresa parker story when the up when the upshot might be she's about to get you know kicked out of this comic in some kind of way but at the same token it's like we're fixing something that has that probably needs to be fixed, but like I'm also kind of dreading having to go fix this right now, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, this is like a perfect example of like the characterizing the Nick Spencer run, which is like, hey, you know, like bravo, kudos to you for fixing it. But like fixing it doesn't mean you, you know, you can't tell a good story with it along the way. Like a lot of this is really interesting. Look, I don't love the, the the resolution of the life death story. I mean, it's kind of a classic cop out. You know, someone comes back to life, they're a doom bot or whatever. You know, but there is there is fun in that story, and it is one of Chameleon's more memorable moments over the past since he was invented. <laughs> and so, why not dip back into it? Like, I'm I'm kind of like. Wow, I wish I had thought of this, right? Like, like initially with Teresa, that's the ba- always been the back door. Is she's also a robot, you know? But it's like it's not. I cheered when I read this because I want to get rid of that character, not because I was like, "What a great turn in the story." There could be ways to make this into an interesting story, like have Teresa glitching, or you know, have something that kept us more on the fence about you know this. Like Chameleon suggests, like. You want these answers from me, but we've never seen her express any desire to find that answer, right? But that could have been really interesting if we have a character that is trying to figure out her identity instead of just showing up and now that's suddenly a new thing that's been introduced into it. I can like the result, but I still don't think how we got there was particularly interesting, which I think is what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also worth noting, I mean, you know, trying to get into Spencer's brain here that, I mean... Yes, I mean, we, we talked about life theft not being like the most celebrated of stories, but, you know, part of, you know, yes, the chameleon was also heavily involved, but also the man behind the the game happened to be Harry Osborne from behind the, you know, from beyond the grave. And given what's going on with Kindred right now, you almost have to wonder if that's going to kind of come back in some kind of way, too, with everything that's going on there and, you know, kind of playing with that timeline. It's. Like you said, Spencer is trying to fix something and, you know, also in his brain, he's like, and this is another way I can bring back, you know, like JMD level uh, Harry Osborne. And it's like, OK, well, cool, but you got to make it work, buddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you can't you, you, you can't just throw the red meat and, and not actually make it seem cohesive. And so far, I don't know if it's cohesive or not. 
Well, it's funny you you say that because I, I I had someone join me on I did like this random live stream for our Patreon supporters the other day where I was bagging and boarding comics and answering questions people had or talking about things they wanted to talk about. And someone asked, you know, if Spencer pulls off the magic trick at the end of all of this and all of it's connected and it feels really satisfying, will that cause you to reevaluate the run? And I said, you know, maybe, you know, like if this is all tied in and Teresa being a robot and Harry Osborne being involved in this and it's all been like a massive juggling act and he can land it like that would be really impressive. But like it doesn't fix that I'm not enjoying it in the moment going through it, you know, like most of magic tricks are not even really the reveal that the woman's been sawed in half. It's the showmanship and the suspense and everything that gets you worked up to that moment. So like, again, I can, I can see what he's doing here and think it's really exciting, but, but also be like, okay, well, I'm not really enjoying how this is playing out. Without belaboring this point too much, because I, I, I know we want to kind of march on in this comic a little bit, but like, you know, it's, that's, a, that's also kind of a dangerous premise because like, unless Spencer has signed up and it's like, I am writing 100 issues of amazing Spider-Man, no more, no less, or whatever the number is like, you know, that's kind of a hard act to pull off where it's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's serial fiction here. I mean, it kind of just goes and goes and goes until one day someone else comes on the book and then that goes and goes and goes with them. So to kind of be like, you know, I'm playing the super duper long game because there's just going to be this one day where everything clicks and, and ties together. I mean, that is, that is a really difficult magic trick to pull off in a, a form like you know superhero ser- you know serialized superhero comic books and like i'm kind of racking my brain f- frankly thinking back it's very hard for me to think of anyone who actually successfully pulled that off you know on any kind of run you know where like everything just comes together in one magic stroke at the end there's always kind of you know that sense of when one creator leaves a book and the other comes on like of you know well, there are some toys put back in the box, but some are kind of left out and some got broken. And, you know, like it's up to the next guy to figure out what to do next. It's also it's also like handcuffs, because like if you laid this whole thing out and something's not working, it gives you very little room to course correct because you're so tied to the plan that you've made. And sometimes plans go awry. That would be the other warning I, I would I would send out. Yeah. OK, but let's let's. So speaking of like, I don't know if we were speaking of this but like totally new <laughs> plot lines <laughs> you know we, we 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 bought betty brant back la- last issue and she was quite pregnant and now peter and betty are meeting at the coffee bean and as the the text itself notes betty is still pregnant <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, I, i'm seeing a note here uh dan it, it seems like you found a, a cute little wordplay here huh I actually have to give this to our Slack at the Slambert found this, which he he's like, there's a clever clue in that panel. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And he was like, oh, no, Peter says that she's burying the lead, which is the name of the annual that we got where Ned came back. So like you and I already know the result, but reading through that, it's like, oh, that's actually really clever. I, I have to think that that's done intentionally. Yeah, I mean it's also newspaper speak, but like, yeah, it work, I mean it's a it works both ways, which is perfect. I mean, I I I I'm going to tip my hat and say that's probably accurate. So we got this whole scene between Peter and Betty. I have to point out that the way that 
Ferraria draws Peter, I find kind of odd. I like the expressiveness of the character, but like he's got these big blocky, bushy eyebrows. Like, like I could just see him chomping on a cigar or something like, like what is Peter's heritage? I don't even know, but like, it just doesn't look like Peter Parker to me other than it seems like a kind of young boyish fellow. It just feels very overly cartoony. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, like, like, like exaggerated, like, like I'm looking at like a political cartoon of Peter Parker, not a, not a comic book version of him, if that makes sense, you know, like, and I, and I felt the same not to, not to, not to, you know, spoiler alert. I felt the same when they like introduced Ned Leeds, like it just felt like, you know, it was like something from like, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but like, yeah, I guess that's how Ned would look like if like. I don't know, someone who doesn't really draw Spider-Man comics that much decided to draw Ned Leeds. I mean, I don't know. He looked like a British prince or something. It was very strange to me. I don't know. Yeah, a little slicker than I'm used to. But but at the same time, like, we haven't seen Ned since, what, the 80s? I recognized it enough, you know? And, like, what could, you, what could I tell you about Ned in general? Probably that he's a slickly dressed, blonde you know, handsome fellow. And that's about like his entire personality, you know? So yes, Betty admits that it's Ned's baby and that like Ned tipped her off to a story she was investigating overseas. And that led to them meeting up and secretly rendezvousing. And Peter has a kind of an immediate reaction to this, which is like, you know, she's still optimistic about telling Ned about this. And Peter is like, remembering that Ned is dead and he buried Ned's body. And he remembers specifically that as Ned was dying in his arms, he said, no, you don't understand. She, she, Betty. And he was kind of trying to tell, I guess, Peter that Betty is pregnant. I'm not sure why he was uh, telling Spider-Man that, but uh, okay. And, and I think this leads to a nice scene of Peter kind of beating himself up, right? Like he didn't think that, like he didn't think all the way through this thing. Now, the the very thing he was trying to avoid, you know, uh, heartbreak for Betty is the thing that he's going to have kind of caused or triggered to be way worse. These are the moments where, you know, you you, you definitely kind of feel reaffirmed by Spencer that he's got a good grasp of the characters and what their motivations and reactions to things should be. It was a well done scene. But, you know, then it's kind of Peter taking off and and you know when we when we reconvene with him he's he's back with you know Jamie at Empire State University and the clairvoyant and and you know I I don't know if I've said this point blank on this show yet but like speaking of characters that I really don't care about <laughs> I just don't care about this Jamie and this clairvoyant storyline which has been again feels like it's been going on for an eternity and it's like where are we going with this I still don't know can you explain this to me Dan well, it's funny because I feel like Nick Spencer knows that you feel that way. I don't I don't mean you specifically, but like maybe people. So like we get a sort of like peek into Jamie's life in this issue as a way to maybe like engender some sympathy for him. I don't know how successful I find it because it both puts him in a bad situation and makes him into kind of like a creepy dude. Or maybe creepy is the is the is the wrong word, but like he blows up at Peter in the in the lab and and i'll say this like you know peter can live many different lives and stuff i do i do find it weird how much this book is able to kind of just like yada yada move on like 
Peter's beating himself up about Betty in one scene. And the next scene, he's just like getting berated by his friend. And like, there's no sense of the continuity of Peter's life. Like, oh my gosh, two of my friends have like told me really awful things that I'm involved in. Like, how does that impact me? I feel like the book would have been all about that like 20 years ago. And now it's just like, okay, on to the next scene. And and that goes to like Peter's curiosity too. Like Jamie blows up at him and Peter just says, well, then again, you never know what people are going through where I feel like, and this is like a great microcosm for like Spencer's run, which is like, I feel like in the past, if Jamie had done that, it would have been a setup to a whole issue of Spider-Man where he trails Jamie home to see what he's doing. And Spider-Man's peering in through the window and he sees that Jamie is a sick, a sick mom. And so he tries to help him, but it kind of backfires. Like you could do a whole issue just about Spider-Man coming to terms with that. And maybe we'll get it, but we're, we're too busy moving on to the next thing. You know, that that story just gets left behind. You know, like we, we go to join Silver Sable who I, I also really don't care about in this story. It's no knock on Silver Sable. Respond to that, and then we'll finish up the Jamie scene. Do you do you feel like that's accurate? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just kind of like, well, this happened, waka waka, moving on. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, like you said, like we're not. We get these these little glimpses of, like I said earlier, this this sense that that this creative team has a grasp of who these characters are and what they want to do with them. But then, like, I also feel like. It's like this aggressive need to get certain plot out. But yet, if you tell me like to give a good summary of everything that happened in this comic, I don't feel like a lot happened. And yet it was very plot heavy. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Like a lot of lip service was being played to plot beats. But like, I don't know if the plot beats amounted to much of an actual story. Well, I just, I don't know how any of these things relate to our protagonists. Like, okay, so we were made to care about Jamie and he seems like he's doing well. His mother's on is sick and on dialysis and he's stealing candy for his little sister, Rosamie and trying to care for her. And he's like, you know, he's, he's up to his neck. You know, he's, he's got like rising debts because apparently he had been using the clairvoyant to win, you know, and gamble, which we had seen but he had also like allowed himself to lose a little too much. And now he's in debt and here comes chance to blackmail him so that he, you know, will go along and give chance to clairvoyant. And it's like, okay, great. Like, but like Jamie's not our protagonist, you know, like how does this relate to Spider-Man? I, I don't know any way that this relates to Spider-Man, I guess, other than that Jamie is now going to need to steal the catalyst. Remember that thing from sins rising I mean, again, I'm having trouble juggling just like there's a catalyst, there's a clairvoyant, there's chance, there's a casino in the sky. Like it's a lifeline tablet or. (laughs) Yeah, it's just it's just a lot of stuff. And the foreigner and the finisher. (laughs) Oh, well, we'll we'll get to that. I know. I know. I'm jumping the gun here. But, you know, but you're right. It's like there are so many like moving pieces here and they're kind of being dropped with without the context of really letting people know why this matters. And yet, you know, they're still kind of being treated like this is a big deal in the, in the heat of it. And, and, you know, chance showing up, 
you know, again, the hits just keep coming with me in terms of like, who are the who are the top characters that Mark Janakio doesn't give a crap about? Let's bring them all out. Let's get in chance. Let's bring in <laughs> Teresa Parker. <laughs> Let's bring in like Silver Sable post 1987. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do it. Let's bring in Silver Sable. So Sable Sable is pulling a kingpin and just fighting a bunch of guys that presumably she's hired to fight her because she's recovering. And the foreigner, I mean, probably top three on my list of characters I really don't care about. Characters that are only interesting because they tangentially got Ned Leeds killed. You know, ask me to explain that. I guess we're going to have to do that on an up- upcoming episode. But I really just do do not want to have to explain that. He was almost the um, hobgoblin, buddy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So the foreigner's paying top dollar for her recovery, which like I'm not tracking all the way. And I, this might just be my own fault. But like it's also been a long time since that Silver Sable story. Like I thought that she got this like the formula basically meant that she was forever crippled and that she had to continue ingesting the formula in order to like retain her strength. And that was the new wrinkle put on Silver Sable. But now she's just kind of getting like really good rehab. I I, I, I don't know. Most importantly, it's being that her rehab is being drained from the Simkarian government's treasury fund. Another thing I care very little about the sustenance of. I mean, Simkarian economics is going to be a key driver for Spider-Man comics going forward, Dan. So uh, I, I hope so, Mark. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I, I I don't have much to add in terms of, you know, insightful criticism to that scene. So why don't we just jump to the next one? <laughs> Peter goes back to tell Betty the truth about Ned and voila, it's like Ned, like all suited up and looking Looking kind of like I don't know. He looked he 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 looked like a pinup model. I don't know. It was weird. I I I I just didn't. There's something about this Ned that didn't sit right with me. I don't ever remember him looking like this in the comics. But you know, I'm whatever. I'm gonna def- I'm gonna defend this because like and this is ignoring what I know about issue 68 because it knowing what I what I know about just when I was just reading 67, it was kind of an exciting page reveal because the last time we saw Ned, he was like a homeless person. Right. So like having him in like a suit and clean shaven and looking really nice, it was like, okay, like I want to know the story, how the guy that was a dead homeless guy (laughs) is now this guy, you know, like what's the deal there? And we'll talk about that in 68, but at at least in 67, I was like, okay, there's a, there could be a really interesting story here that I'm going to find out about. Fair enough. You're right. I, I will, I will lay down my sword there. But what I won't lay down my sword is then this final, final reveal in this issue, which is we're back with Chameleon and Teresa because, you know, we haven't been tormented enough. He has been placed in a cell with the finisher, Carl Fears. I mean, everybody knows who this guy is, right, Dan? I could not have pulled this one out of my back pocket if you asked me about it. I mean, Mark, you're more of our Spider-Man history expert. Does the finisher like jump to the tip of your tongue? No, I mean, because frankly, when I think I don't even know when this got fully explained, this must have probably been explained more fleshed out during the Michelini Bagley run, I'm guessing, like probably when the Parkers returned because there's like that I think one it's issue also in the pages. I think it's also in the pages of Spectacular in like the early mid 90s. 
Okay, that makes sense too. Because I feel like this is this is a bit of a blind spot for me. Like if you, if you go to you know Annual Five where we learn that you know about the death of Peter's parents, there is no talk of Carl Fears or the Finisher. It's about the Red Skull, and you know, so it's, it's so yeah. I mean, like this was and and yeah, they at least like you know, thankfully explain a bit of the of the context here. But like still, like this is like dun dun dun, and I'm just like what, like. Okay. Well, the reveal is treated like it's like the reveal of uh, Kindred or the Green Goblin. Like, oh my gosh, you can't believe it's the guy that killed Peter's parents, which I guess is a big deal, right? Like, you know, a guy who killed Peter's parents would be a big deal, except that like he is kind of a footnote in, in history, which I don't know if that's necessarily Nick Spencer's problem, but like... I think you should acknowledge a little bit that like people are going to have no idea who this is. Yeah, I would say he killed he killed his parents due to retcon, you know, not due to not due to the actual <laughs> death, you know. So, like, if it was again, if it was like the red frickin' skull, I'd be like, oh, okay, this is cool. We're, we're we're really we're really going deep here and bringing out the big guns. But you know, it's Carl Fears, who you know, I'm I'm gonna have to. Post episode, look up exactly the issue. I, I I'm gonna bank. It was like three. There's that issue from the Bagley Michelinie run where it's like the truth about Peter's parents, and there's like the the Red Skull face in the background, and like you know Peter is looking all shocked, and the parents are in front of him. You you know what I'm talking about? I think it's like 366. Exactly. Or like yeah. That. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna put my money that that gets explained there, but I could be wrong on that too. Anyway. So, Mark, you're you're great. Get us started here. I'm going to probably be more generous than I want to be, but only because, again, like I'm reading this in the context of it being with 68. Uh, I'm going to give this a C because I feel this was perfect, perfectly average. I'm going to give it a C plus. I, I think I liked some of the Peter stuff that we got here, but you're right. I, I, giving this above average is probably generous. It's decent enough, I guess. I think I'm like was more positive coming out of this just because I was like, they're gonna retcon the retcon of Teresa. Like, I'm buoyed that someone is taking the bullet to get rid of that character. Like, if this whole story was so terrible and it and it ultimately ends up with just getting rid of Teresa, and I can forget about this story, but also like forget Teresa for the rest of my life, I I, I will be bet I will be better off. And it will be a net positive for me. You would take 23 pages of like kid doodles if the 24th page was Teresa Parker, like in a pool of blood, like with her head blown off. Right. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know that I would go that far, but I could easily forget about kid doodles. I mean, actually, that would be really something unique. But um, <laughs> I can easily forget a forget. There are so many issues of Amazing Spider-Man especially from the nineties that I flipped through and just have no memory of. And this will probably be one of them, although the cover is kind of cool. So it might help tip, tip me off. That's something 68 doesn't have. Like at, at the very least I can look at this and go, okay, it didn't, it, it, it didn't hurt me, but, but like, Hey, Teresa might be gone. Uh, like if, if that's the legacy, I'll, I'll give it a C plus. It's that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and the viewers and the chat boxers for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. 
Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode, like all of our review episodes, was originally released on the Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you're one of those people out there that enjoys this show and wants to help support its continued existence and the existence of these reviews while joining us on the live stream, potentially, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until we decide to reconnect in person after this COVID thing, only for me to discover that you're pregnant, what's our motto? Wow. Well, our motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. having like a spider-man baby together mark i think we might (laughs) i don't even know what that means (laughs) i don't know either